Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. Amen. As you take your seat, take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Acts as we continue our journey through this great book that tells us the story of how Jesus established his church among his people. We're in Acts chapter 16 this morning. Acts 16 verses 25 through 34. We'll read that together in just a moment. So we'll be finding Acts 16, 25 through 34. If you're new to the Bible, no worries because Acts is not too difficult to find. Just go to the New Testament and find the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Acts comes right after John, fifth book in the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, the good news for you is in the chair before you, in the book rack, you should find a copy of a Bible there. Pick that Bible up, find Acts with us. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and begin to read it and uh, learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. So Acts 16, 25 through 34, we'll read that passage together in just a moment. So I, I don't know, I don't know if, you, if you keep up like I do with uh, just how Chick-fil-A is progressing throughout the world. And, and so, so I don't know if you know this, but they really are. They really are trying to expand their business because why wouldn't they, right? Take the, the joy of chicken all across the world. And so they're, they're, they're expanding their business. And maybe you saw this in the news over the last couple of weeks that they expanded to the United Kingdom. Kingdom. And so there was this, this mall where they, you know, leased space in this mall to establish a Chick-fil-A in that mall. And so they opened it up, right? And it was a glorious day. People ate chicken sandwiches. Their lives were forever changed and all those kinds of things. And then the, the owner of the mall, you might have read the story, right? The owner of the mall discovered that Chick-fil-A, the owners, right, actually have values. And, and in our world, in our day and culture, you can't have values, right? You just can't. And so, so, and so because of their conservative family values, uh, this, this mall owner wants Chick-fil-A out of the mall. And so they have six months on their lease, and then Chick-fil-A is out of the United Kingdom. That's it. They're done. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you are a citizen of the United Kingdom, and you walk in and you taste that chicken goodness, you have that bite of that Chick-fil-A sandwich, and it does. I mean, it's life-changing. You've never tasted anything like it. You put some Chick-fil-A sauce on it, it takes it up a whole nother notch. And, and so you taste that Chick-fil-A sandwich, and it's good. You've never had anything like it. And then you learn, and then you learn that the owner of the mall is kicking Chick-fil-A out, and you'll never have Chick-fil-A again. That would be a terrible day, would it not? But that's exactly what happened in the United Kingdom. And I can imagine that everyone who's gone to Chick-fil-A in that mall and has experienced that chicken sandwich, what they feel like is that their joy is being taken away from them. Right? Amen. So, so, so I tell you that story because maybe it's not a chicken sandwich for you, but, but you've had those moments in life, have you not? where it feels like your joy has been taken from you. You've had those seasons of life where it feels like your joy has been robbed. 
And you can remember a time, you can remember a time that in your Christian life as a follower of Jesus, man, it was full of joy. You, you were excited about what God was doing in your life and what you were learning about Him and the opportunities He was giving you. And then something happened along the way. Maybe it was a family crisis, maybe it was a disease, uh, maybe it was something else, but something along the way seemed to just rob you of your joy. And that joy you once experienced, that you're not experiencing it anymore. And, and I just want to show you from Scripture this morning, from this particular passage, that, that whether you feel like you've got joy or not, joy is always available for you. Because here's the reality, right? Joy is not an elusive feeling that we are trying to chase and capture. Joy is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to the one who died and rose again for you, joy is yours. No matter what your season of life might be, no matter your circumstances, no matter your experiencing experiences, joy is always available for you. In fact, in a Roman prison, Paul wrote to a church in the city that we're reading about this morning, and he said what? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. Even in the midst of a prison, Paul experienced joy. And we're going to look in a passage this morning in Philippi, where Paul was in a prison experiencing joy. And so, so what I want to show you from this story, I want to show you three reasons why. I want to show you three reasons why, no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter your experience, three reasons why you can experience joy in Christ today. And, and here's the reality. I, I know as I look out in this room, many of you are here faithfully every single Sunday. Some of you are here uh, kind of regular. Some of you might be your first time. But if you've been around the church before, you've been around the church much, what I'm going to tell you this morning isn't anything new. This is not original information. It's not new information. But it's information that we constantly need to be reminded of because we are a people that oftentimes just feel like our joy has been taken away from us. And so take your Bibles, Acts 16, 25 through 34. We're going to look at three reasons why you can have joy this morning and every day of your life. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Acts 16, beginning in verse 25, this is what the Bible says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for time together in your word. And I know, Father, that in this room this morning, uh, there are those of us who are longing for joy. It's been a tough year, a tough few months. 
and it feels like our, our joy has been taken away from us, stolen from us. Father, remind us from your word this morning that joy is a person, a person we know, a person that we've believed in, a person that we've experienced, a person who gave his life and rose again for us. Joy is Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I ask this morning as we spend time hearing your word, that Jesus, you'd minister to us, you'd restore our joy, and you would show us why we can have joy in you. And so we trust that you're speaking to us now. Help us to listen carefully. And as we listen, Father, help us be willing to obey your word, whatever you're telling us this morning, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So if you remember back to last week, you know where we are in the story, right? So, so last week when we were together, we talked about how, how Paul and Barnabas had finished up their first missionary journey, and they went back to the church at Antioch, and there was a problem there because people were asking, you know, what does someone have to do to be a follower of Jesus? You had some Jews, Jewish Christians from Judea who came up and were, were kind of confusing people, and so they went to Jerusalem, and there was this council to determine what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so they determined to be a follower of Jesus, praise God, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the traditions of the Jewish faith. If you believe in Jesus, you are his. You belong to him. This is good news. And so, so Paul and Barnabas, they leave the church in Jerusalem to begin the second missionary journey. But there's a problem. As Paul and Barnabas are leaving and heading out for their second missionary journey, John Mark wants to join them again. You might remember John Mark. John Mark, he's the author of the second gospel, the gospel of Mark. But along the way in the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas took, he had abandoned them. He left them. Now he wants to join them again. Barnabas, he's the constant encourager. He wants to give Barnabas a second chance. But Paul does not want to give him a second chance. And so they have a very sharp disagreement. And Paul and Barnabas, they split and go in separate directions. And Paul takes along with him a man by the name of Silas. And then he's also going to take along a man by the name of Timothy on this second missionary journey. And on this second missionary journey, what Paul wants to do is he wants to go back to Galatia. I showed you the map last week. Let me show you again. So on his first missionary journey, this is where Paul and Barnabas were in the area of South Galatia. And now as they begin the second missionary journey, this is where they want to go again. Paul wants to go back and tell the good news of what had happened at the Jerusalem Council. He wants to go back and continue to strengthen the churches. He wants to go back and, and bless those brothers and sisters in Christ as they continue on in the faith. But there's a problem. As he begins to go back and, and visit these churches, the doors close. God's Spirit does not allow Paul to go to these places he wants to go, which is really odd. Because on Paul's first missionary journey, when he and Barnabas traveled throughout this region, it seemed like every door was open. Wherever they went, it was an open door for ministry. And sure, it was hard. Sure, they faced persecution. But they saw so many people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And now, as Paul and Silas, along with Timothy, are traveling on this second missionary journey, the doors aren't opening like they once were. In fact, let me read to you what the Scripture says. If you look back up in Acts chapter 16, and you come to verse 6, for example. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
Now, we don't know exactly how it happened. Uh, Maybe the Spirit of God gave them a vision that said, do not go here or do not go there. Maybe Paul had just this inward conviction of the Spirit that he wasn't to go back to these particular places. But whatever the case may have been, Paul was convinced that the Spirit of God was closing doors for him. That these were areas that he was not to go to. And so you can imagine the frustration, right? As Paul and Silas and Timothy traveled, wanting to do the Lord's work, wanting to to continue to, to bless people and share the gospel, and doors are closing left and right. And so Paul is wandering. He's wandering around. While he's wandering around, he's probably wondering, God, what are you up to? Why can't I go to these particular places? I, I, I don't understand. And we don't know how long it was that he wandered around. But eventually, eventually, the Bible says that Paul and Silas and Timothy were in the area of Troas. And Troas is, is right over here. And as they were in Troas, Paul had a vision. A vision of a man from Macedonia. Macedonia is this region over here. And this vision that Paul has, the man says, come on over here. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Please come to Macedonia. And so at that point, Paul is convinced. Paul is convinced that God is leading him and Silas and Timothy to go to Macedonia. God had closed some doors for Paul. God prevented Paul from going to some specific places because God was opening up a different opportunity to a different part of the world where Paul and Silas and Timothy would go and and make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. But again, you can imagine it. You can kind of understand the the frustration of of having doors closed because in this room this morning, there are some of us, right? We've experienced the same thing. We felt like we've been wandering around. We've had doors closed for us. We were going one direction, thinking, okay, this is the direction God would have me to go. And then all of a sudden, that door closes. And then we go another direction, thinking, this is where God would would have me to go. And it seems as if that door closes. And everywhere we turn, it seems as if doors are closing instead of opening. And, And we get frustrated, and we ask God, why? Why is this door closing? And why am I not allowed to have this opportunity? I mean, I had this plan, but it didn't work out, and this plan didn't work out. God, what are you doing? There's a great scripture in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, Solomon writes, and you might know the scripture. He says, the heart of man plans his ways, right? But God establishes his steps. And that's good, right? The heart of man plans his ways, but God establishes his steps because there are those seasons in life, right, where it feels like every door is closing. It feels like the opportunities aren't out there for you, that you go one direction and it doesn't work out, and you go another direction and it doesn't, doesn't work out. But, but, but rest assured that the God of all creation, who saved you by his son Jesus, who loves you and who has a purpose for your life, he is establishing your steps. He knows exactly where he's going to place you. He knows exactly what he's going to do through you, right? And so just understand, you can have joy this morning because you know God is leading you. You understand that? That that there's never a season in your life that God is not at work leading you in the direction that he wants you to go. Sometimes it might seem as if God is against you, but he's not. 
He's working in your life in such a way to place you in the exact position that he wants you. And so in those seasons, right, where it seems like every door is closing, remember, God is preparing you. Right? He's preparing you. We don't know because Luke, the author of Acts, doesn't tell us all the details. We don't know exactly what Paul was thinking or going through during that season of wandering. But I can imagine that as he wandered, God was teaching him. He was teaching him to be patient, teaching him to trust, teaching him to keep his eyes on him. God was not wasting that season of wandering. He was using it, right? God was preparing Paul. But not only was God preparing Paul, God was preparing the opportunities for Paul. That God, again, knew exactly what he wanted to accomplish through Paul. It might have been frustrating for Paul, but God, in his sovereign design, knew exactly what he was doing. Man makes plans, but God establishes our steps. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life even now. And so here you are this morning. And maybe you feel like some doors have closed for you. And maybe you feel like you're wandering around just a bit. Just rest assured that God establishes your steps. And and just think about it this way as well. God knows where you are, and God has placed you exactly where he desires you even now. In this church, in this city, on your job, in your family, God has put you where he wants you to accomplish the purpose that he has for you. And you know that his purpose is good for you because he loves you. He's proven that he loves you. And so you can have joy this morning because because in every season of life, no matter where you find yourself, you know that God is leading you. The heart of man plans his ways, but God establishes steps. Many of you know that that I I teach at CSU. I teach adjunct, and I have the opportunity to... um, to teach preaching every semester. And so every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon, I, I go to CSU and I teach preaching. We've been studying over the last few weeks how to put together messages, and, and we're working right now on, on how to deliver those messages because at the end of the semester, they're actually going to have to get up and, and preach their message before the class. And, and the way I like to do class is I like to have a lot of dialogue and a lot of ask, I, I like to ask my students a lot of questions, get their feedback, and then point them in a certain direction. And so, so we have a lot of dialogue. And we were talking the other day about, about sermon delivery what it means to deliver a good sermon. We were talking about things like rate of speech, and I told him I'm obviously a bad example of that because I talk really fast. We, we talked about, you know, how you should stand on a stage, the kind of movements you should make, and all these different little elements of, of communication we were talking about. And, and in that particular class, we have a student by the name of Kevin Gore. Kevin Gore, in fact, is a member of our church. Kevin, are you here this morning? Why don't you raise your hand so everybody can see you? That's Kevin right over there. And so we were in class talking about whatever, and as we were talking about whatever, Kevin and his wife, they joined our church, I don't know, months ago, maybe um, as much as a year ago, and Kevin said in class, for whatever reason, I don't know what compelled him to say it, he, he said in class, you know, Dr. Matter, when, when I first came to Northwood and, and I looked on the stage, I thought you were about 50 years old. I'm nowhere near 50, right? Like, like I, I'm, I'm 27 in a, in a decade or so, but, but I'm, I'm nowhere near 50 years old. I'm like, and so right there in that moment, in that class, I began to have a midlife crisis, right? Because, because I'm not 50 years old. And if you're 50 years old, God bless you. I'm, I just don't want to be you yet, right? I mean, and so, so, so he said, yeah, you look like, and I said, like, why would you think I'm 50 years old? He said, well, when you stand on the stage, I mean, you, your hair just looks kind of white, 
I mean, I, I think my hair is gorgeous, right? And, 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 and now I apparently need to get my, my, my hair done right and get some color in my hair or something. But, but 50 years old, I mean, I'm, I'm nowhere near that, right? That day that Kevin made those very rude comments in class, <laughs> that day Kevin had turned in a research paper. What Kevin didn't realize was that night I would be grading his paper. What Kevin failed to remember in that class as he made those comments is that I hold his academic future in my hands, <laughs> right? And I'll tell you that silly story to remind you, right, that, that, man, God, he holds your future in his hands. He knows where you are, and, and he is not a professor seeking revenge on silly comments you've made. No, he is a good and loving God who orders your steps, who's leading you. And even when it doesn't feel like he's leading you, man, he is. He's ordering your steps for that opportunity he's going to open up for you. And, man, what an opportunity he opened up for Paul and Silas. They go over to Macedonia into a city called Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. And, and, and undoubtedly, while Paul and Silas were in Philippi, uh, they would lead many people to faith in Jesus Christ. But, but Luke, the, the writer of this particular book, he focuses on three individuals uh, that, that Paul had the opportunity to lead to faith in Jesus Christ. One was a lady by the name of Lydia. And to be honest, Lydia is the kind of person you want on your team. She was a wealthy businesswoman, and she, she made these purple garments. And, and as Paul would go into particular cities, what he would always try to do would be to find a synagogue where, where Jewish people were, Jews who had been exiled out of their homeland years ago and were making new lives in these other cities. And so he would go and find a synagogue and share the gospel there and begin to work out among the city. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. There weren't enough men to, to put together a synagogue. You had to have 10 men, 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue, and they weren't there, right? And so down by the river, there was a group of ladies who believed in God, and Lydia was one of them, and they prayed. And so Paul meets these ladies, and he shares the gospel, and Lydia comes to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, it was powerful, and, and you can understand that, that Paul and Silas and, and Timothy, they had to be excited because to have her on the team, this was going to be great. In fact, they, they gave them a place to stay. This, Lydia let them stay with her while they were there, and, and just to have that kind of person, influential, wealthy. I mean, she could tithe really good and all those kinds of things. And then Paul encounters another lady who is the exact opposite of Lydia. Not the kind of lady that you want on your team. A slave girl. And this slave girl was unique because this slave girl, she was possessed by a demon. And this demon gave her the ability uh, to, to tell the future. And, and so she was a fortune teller. Her, her master used her to tell the fortune of people. And her, her master was making money off of her. And so, so, so Paul comes to town. He leads Lydia to faith in Christ and, and probably others as well. And this, uh, this, this demon-possessed girl latches on to Paul. And the demon speaks forth from Paul. And listen to what the demon says. Listen to what this demon girl says. You come over to, to chap, chapter 16 and you look down, uh, verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servant of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Did the demon speak truth? Absolutely. But here's the problem. You don't want a demon advertising for you. 
That's not typically, typically what you want, right? And so, so look at what it says. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. Healed. We don't know how long she had been possessed by this demon. We don't know how long this demon tormented her. But in an instant, immediately, she was well, freed from this demon. A wonderful day for her, but not a wonderful day for her master, her owner. Because when she was freed of this demon and lost her ability to tell the future, to to tell fortunes, this master saw his fortunes vanish. And so they drug Paul and Silas into the streets, beat them, and threw them in a prison. Now, just think about it, right? This is not the way it was supposed to turn out. Paul had wandered around for some time and and wondering what direction he should go. And and then he had this vision of of going to Macedonia. And so he followed the leadership of the Spirit to go into Macedonia. He went to Philippi. He led Lydia to faith in Christ, the kind of woman you want on your team. Then he cast a demon out. I mean, all is going well. And then now, all of a sudden, he finds himself in a prison. I mean, let's just be honest. This is not the kind of of Christianity we sign up for, right? Because when you follow Jesus, it's supposed to make everything better. When you follow Jesus, it's supposed to make life easier. Because after all, God is on your side. When you follow Jesus, you're supposed to have your best life now. And all of a sudden, Paul and Silas aren't having their best life now. Well, the Bible says that they were put in the deepest part of the prison, in stocks. In those days, the, the stocks, they would have been tied from the, or hung from the ceiling. And so you can imagine Paul and Silas' feet hanging from the ceiling as they lay on their backs in the deepest part of the prison. And, and undoubtedly, that, that prison did not have a sewer system. And so everything draining down that space where Paul and Silas lay. And we don't know how many prisoners were in that prison. We don't know how large the prison was. But here they were. They had done nothing unjust. Their reward for faithfully serving God and sharing the gospel was imprisonment. And the Bible says, at midnight, when everybody else was trying to sleep, at midnight, in the darkest part of the evening, if you were there in that prison, you began to hear it. You began to hear the faint sound of singing. And as the minutes passed by, that faint sound of singing grew louder and louder. And what the Bible says is that at midnight, while they were in stocks, while they were in the deepest, darkest part of that prison, while they were there, Paul and Silas, they were lifting up their voice, praising God. I mean, it makes no sense, but here they are in that prison, right? Their reward for faithfully serving God, imprisonment, singing praise to God. Nobody knew. Think about it. They had left Antioch. They had left Jerusalem. Their friends back home didn't know where they were going. Their friends back home didn't know they were in a prison. Nobody knew they were there, but God did. 
And not only did God know they were there, God was with them while they were there. You understand this. I don't even have to tell you this because you know it. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is never a second in your life that God is not with you. Not a second, right? And and so if you think about it, you can have joy not only because you know God is always leading you, you can have joy because you always know God is with you in every season. And and it may be here this morning that that you're having an at-midnight type of experience. You feel like you're in the darkest season of your life. It may be this morning that you feel like you're imprisoned imprisoned to whatever it might be, imprisoned to your disease, imprisoned to your anxiety, imprisoned to some bad circumstances, you might feel like this morning in this room that you are absolutely at midnight and you are absolutely imprisoned to whatever your circumstances might be. But my friend, listen, it doesn't change for a moment the reality that God is with you. Not only is he with you, right? I mean, Scripture clearly teaches us that. You you think about passages like Psalm 23 where the psalmist writes and says, Listen, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. You you think about Hebrews chapter 13 where the writer of Hebrews tells us, man, he will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, right, because you're, you're here this morning and you understand as a follower of Jesus that he's with you. But not only is he with you, he is in you dwelling in you, empowering you to live the kind of life that he's called you to live. There is never a moment in your life that God is not present with you. And if that is the case, don't ignore him. Because let's just be honest. It's in those seasons of darkness, it's in those seasons when we feel like we're in prison that we tend to ignore God. And the reality is, you know this like I do, at midnight, when life is at its darkness, doesn't it, isn't it true that that really reveals the kind of faith that you have? Those midnight experiences, those imprisonment type of experiences, that, that's really where the rubber meets the road, that, that really reveals in your heart if you're faithfully following Jesus or not. You see, don't ignore him. Instead, cling to him at midnight, right? When life is at its darkness, hold on to what you know about him. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your Savior. Savior, Don't ignore him and certainly don't shrink back in fear. You think about it, right? That's what's so remarkable about Paul's story. This isn't the first time he's in prison, and it's not the last time he will be in prison. He will end up giving his life for Jesus. He never shrinks back in fear. He keeps moving forward in faith. Do you know why? Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth you taking that step of faith. He's worth you sharing the gospel with that person you think will look down on you because of your faith. He's worth all that. In fact, Paul is going to write in another imprisonment, In the book of Philippians, he's going to write what? Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What's the worst that can happen to you in this life? The worst that can happen to you as a follower of Jesus is you get killed for your faith. But so what? Because you gain eternity. You see what I'm saying? Don't shrink back in fear because you know God is with you. And certainly don't be discouraged. Because you know in that darkest season of your life, not only is God with you, 
he's using you. It's an amazing story. And I don't know how it happens, right? I mean, Luke doesn't spell out all the details in this passage of Scripture. He, he doesn't give us the play-by-play of, of how it all went down. But, but there they are singing at midnight, lifting their voices to God in joy, right? Because God is with them. And, and I believe, right, the, the text doesn't spell this out explicitly, but I believe that, that Paul and Silas, remember, God establishes our steps, God opened the door for them to be in Macedonia. I believe that Paul and Silas believed that God established their steps even to a prison cell. They knew it was by God's design they were sitting in this Philippian jail. And there you have it. They're singing praise to God at midnight. An earthquake takes place. And as that earthquake takes place, deliverance, right? Everyone's chains are loosened. Deliverance, right? They can get up and walk out free, but no one does. And I don't know what the conversation was. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, obviously it was supernatural, but Paul was able. He was able to convince all of the prisoners to stay put. I mean, imagine that happening in the Charleston County Jail, right? Ain't nobody staying put. But you have this supernatural working of the Spirit in this prison, and everybody stays put. The Philippian jailer, he knows. He knows the earthquake has happened. He, 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 he knows that the chains have probably been loosened. He walks in. He calls for light. He sees some loose chains on the ground. He knows that somebody's going to kill him for not doing his job right, and so he's going to take his own life. And, and as he gets ready to, to, to kill himself, Paul says, stop. Don't do it. We're all here. And in that moment, the only thing the Philippian jailer could say was, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas were able to lead that man and his entire family to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, now listen, it was a moment of deliverance, but the deliverance was not for Paul and Silas. The deliverance was for this Philippian jailer. I mean, think about it, right? And, and, and I know maybe we don't even want to think about this, but the reason why Paul put Paul, or excuse me, God put Paul and Silas in this prison was for this Philippian jailer. You see what I'm saying? God established their steps even into a prison cell where a Philippian jailer would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul and Silas were put in chains so that the spiritual chains of this Philippian jailer might be loosened. And that's what's happened in your life as well. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He took your chains. You were chained to sin. You were chained to death. It was leading to an eternal death for you. You were in chains. But Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the one who never sinned, the one who never did anything wrong, voluntarily took your chains upon himself and went to a cross in your chain of sins. And in your chains, he took the punishment that you deserved. He died the death that was coming for you. He took the wrath of God that was aimed towards your life. 
He took on your sin so that through his death and ultimately his resurrection, your chains could be loosened. You've been set free. You are no longer bound to the chains and shackles of sins. You are not in the stocks of death any longer. You've been given life eternal. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. And I want you to come in here real close because I want to make sure you understand this. There will be times that it feels like in this life that you've been put back in chains. That disease, it seems to be chains around you. Those bad circumstances at home, they seem to be chains around you. That worry and anxiety, it seems to be chains around you. But what if God establishes your steps in such a way that through your chains, He desires to loosen the chains of someone else? You see? God is using you. And I know you don't want to think about it. I know you don't want to think about the dark times of life and how God might be using that for His glory, but He is. And so what if in those seasons of darkness, what if in those at midnight kind of times, instead of saying, God, are you mad at me? God, why are you putting me through this? God, what did I do to you? What if you started asking the question, God, who are you going to loosen through the power of the Spirit through my chains? Whose chains are you going to deliver them from as I witness for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the chains that I am in? You see? The Spirit of God is using you. And so this morning, you can have joy. You can have joy because you know God is using you, even in those at-midnight seasons. And so you've got a choice to make, right? In those at-midnight seasons, when it seems like life cannot get any darker, are we going to choose? Am I going to choose? Are you going to choose to self-pity? Or are we going to choose, in the midst of those chains, as difficult as it might seem, to live missionally on purpose for God, knowing that God is leading you, knowing that God is with you, and knowing that God is using you. God has established your steps. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through, and he knows how you're going, he's going to use you even in the darkest seasons of your life. And so this morning, here we are, and maybe for you, as we end our time together, this morning needs to be a time of repentance for you. Because in that season of darkness, during your at-midnight time, when it feels like you've been imprisoned by anything and everything, what you've done is you've ignored God. You've taken your eyes off of Him. What you've done is you've lived in a place of discouragement. And what you've done is you've shrinked back in fear. And this morning, God is reminding you, I know it's tough. I know it's hard. But there's joy in Jesus because he has loosened your chains and he's given you hope and eternal life. And this morning, God wants to use you as he works through you to share the gospel, to loosen the chains of others. And so maybe this morning, it's just a time of repentance for us, asking God to help us to put our eyes back on him and the experience and to experience the joy that we can have in our relationship with Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never experienced the joy of Christ. You've never been set free from the chains of sin and death. This morning, you can know the hope of the gospel. There is a God who loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus for you. 
who went to a cross and died for you and then three days later rose again for you. And this morning, you can begin a relationship with him. If you'll place your faith and trust in him, if we repent, if you'll turn from your sin and give your allegiance to him, this morning you can be saved if you'll give your life to him. And so as we end our time together this morning at the two crosses in the corners of this room, there'll be people who are waiting there for you who want to talk to you and pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. This morning, if you want to give your life to Jesus, today is the day that you can do it. As we have a time of invitation, don't shrink back in fear. Get up. Go to one of these crosses and, and talk to someone who is there to help you begin a relationship with Jesus. I don't know how God is leading you in these moments, but what I do know is God wants you to live in joy. And this morning, he is saying to you, experience the joy of Jesus. You respond to him however he leads you to respond. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for time together in your word. I pray, Lord, now that as we respond to your word, we respond in faith and obedience. For that person who might be here who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person today will give his life or her life to you right now. Father, for those of us who feel like we're in those at-midnight seasons, May we lift our eyes up to you, focus on the one who's delivered us from sin and death, and may we sing with joy because we know that you're a good God who loves us, who's given us freedom, and who even in our darkest days is leading us and using us and, 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 and reminding us that you're with us. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that today they would yet again experience your joy, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as we have a time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.